Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Some of you... Um listening and watching today have had the experience of being in a car with small children on a journey and the inevitable question gets asked often with increasing frequency are we nearly there yet um, the question would be asked with a, a degree of expectancy and uh, excitement if you're going somewhere like Disney World if on the other hand uh, you're traveling to see that old granny who lives in a smelly house with 10 cats and has no TV, no mobile signal and is not connected to the internet. The question will be asked with a measure of dread. Oh, are we there yet? Um, and that would lead to another question, which would be, um, is it time to go home yet? And we've all, many of us, been on those kinds of journeys. Um, and I've, I've been tempted from time to time to resort to the thread. If you ask that question again, you'll be walking up the M1 rather than driving. But uh, journeys are journeys, aren't they? I, um, my, the longest journey I think I ever took um, was to Durban in South Africa. I had a flight to Dubai in the Middle East, a four-hour layover in the middle of the night, and then a journey from... Um, Dubai to Johannesburg and man I didn't realize how big Africa really was and then a couple of hours in Johannesburg and then a flight to Durban on the east coast and then being picked up by car and, and driven to a small place called Hillcrest north of Durban I, I, I was on my own it's 24 hour journey and I went to bed at six o'clock in the afternoon when I got to Hillcrest and I slept um, until eight o'clock the following morning. I hadn't done that since I was a teenager. But uh, we've all experienced some of that stuff. Well, the, the, these are journey psalms that begin in, in uh, Psalm 120. Sometimes they're called Songs of Ascent. They, they were written, it seems, for people, Israelites, who were on their way up to Jerusalem to uh, participate in the worship uh, in the first instance of the tabernacle which was moved to Jerusalem it seems and then in Solomon's time to the temple now in Psalm 120 if you just glance back to Psalm 120 
the first of the journey psalms, the writer's been longing to travel to Jerusalem from some distant outpost. He's living, it seems, amongst people who don't really care much for the God of Israel. He says, I am for peace. When I speak about peace, they are for war. He mentions two communities. Uh, he mentions Kedar and Meshach. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach and dwell among the tents of Kedar. Now, these two communities were at different ends of the, of the uh, territory of Israel. He was miles away from Jerusalem, but he, he longs to travel to this place of Shalom. And uh, we discover that um, he, he wants to travel to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, the city of peace. Then, well, that's Psalm 120 is a, is a long way from, from um, Jerusalem and from its worship, but he, he longs to be there. And in Psalm 121, we find him on the journey. He's actually traveling. It's a long and tiring journey, but his eyes, he says, are on the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who watches over his steps and keeps an eye on him when he's asleep at night in those dangerous times on a, on a Middle Eastern journey in the ancient Near East. So Psalm 121 very much is a journey language. And uh, a psalm today is uh, 122. He's arrived in the city after this arduous journey. Maybe he'd been traveling with his kids who'd been asking for several weeks, are we nearly there yet? <laughs> um, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the, the, um, the message opens Psalm 122 with, with this. When they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leapt for joy. And now we're here. Oh, Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls, we're here. No more asking, are we nearly there yet? No, we're here. So I'd like us to think about this psalm this morning. First of all, I want to talk about the celebration of the covenant. If you've got a Bible there, you could turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and uh, verses 3 to 7. Deuteronomy 12 verses 3 to 7. This is a Looking forward in the law of Moses, the law of the covenant, to the time when the children of Israel would be settled in the promised land. And they're to break down their altars, the, the altars of the pagan gods, break down their altars, smash their sacred poles, stones, burn their Asherah poles in the fire, cut down the idols of their gods, and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but... You are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for a dwelling. To that, to that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings on the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice. In everything you've put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. So, um, before any of the children of Israel actually settled permanently in the land, before it was their permanent possession, um, the, there, was, there were these commitments that were specified in, in the law of the covenant, that there was to be a celebration of the covenant 
in a special place, special town, a city where God would place his name. Now, the, the covenant was at the core of, of their culture and their identity. And there were these three great feasts, these celebratory feasts uh, every year. The first one was the Passover. It reminded them that they had been redeemed from Egyptian slavery by the blood of lambs. It was a feast of the tabernacles that reminded them of the way the Lord had preserved them as they lived in tents, in little tabernacles in the wilderness, a journey through the desert. There was the feast of Pentecost, which was essentially their harvest festival, which reminded them that the land flowing with milk and honey was a gift from their heavenly father. So it was about celebration, celebration for redemption, for protection and for provision. And they were to gather as best they could at these three festivals to give thanks to the name of the Lord. You see verse 4 of Psalm 122. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Now, this is so actually incredibly important. Our core identity isn't determined by our Anglo-Saxon heritage or by our racial distinctives or by any particular tribe into which we may have been born. Our core identity ought to be located within the covenant that God makes with his people. That's why this psalm has two bookends. It starts with, I rejoice with those who said, let us go to the house of Yahweh. And it ends in verse 9, for the sake of the house of Yahweh our God, I will seek your prosperity. He's the covenant making and the covenant keeping God. There were some foreshadowings of this, uh, of this um, arrangement uh, previously. Uh, when Israel comprised only maybe a, a few hundred people under the leadership of a nomad called Abraham. Abraham had faced some local hostility and then a, a, a mini war had broken out and uh, he had engaged in that war with his, um, some of his servants and he'd been granted victory. And as they returned victorious, celebrating with the spoils of war, um, they had an encounter with a mysterious person called the King of Salem. And uh, Abraham, when he met this interesting person who was both a king and a priest, he gave him 10% of all this stuff that they'd, they'd gained in the war. And he, in return, gave Abraham the blessing of God. It says in uh, Genesis 14, Melchizedek, king of Salem, that's Jerusalem. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed Abraham and said, Abraham is blessed by God most high creator of heaven and earth. The priest bringing out bread and wine. It sounds just a little bit like the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? Well, I think that's to remind us of the core importance of locating our identity in the covenant that God makes with his people. I, I've got lots of things that I am proud of and enjoy. I'm a Manchester United supporter. You didn't think I could preach a whole sermon without mentioning that, did you? I love the north of England. I have a particular affection for Manchester and Oldham. I love being British. 
but none of that secures my core identity i'm to remind myself and uh, the church is to remind me regularly that the new covenant made through the blood of jesus christ the lamb of god is to be at the core of everything that's to secure my identity this cup is the new covenant in my blood said jesus do this as often as you drink it see we're, we're celebrating the covenant when we when we share in the lord's supper as often as you drink it in remembrance of me so the lord's supper isn't an occasional ritual it's the celebration of the covenant that god made with us through the finished perfect work of jesus christ and listening to the scriptures being preached um, the law of god isn't isn't supposed to be a boring requirement of being a church member it's a celebration of the covenant because when the scriptures are being taught uh, accurately and faithfully that's actually the god of the covenant explaining the rules and requirements and the narratives of his covenant that's what preaching actually is about so this man in psalm 122 he's rejoicing because his feet are standing within the gates and walls of jerusalem he's arrived and i'd like to ask you this question really where are your feet standing in terms of your personal identity the core of your being where do you locate your essential identity your life purpose your sense of who you are is it in the celebration of the lamb of god who shed his blood to deliver you from the slavery of sin is it in uh, the god who is supplying your needs as you make the journey through this wilderness to your inheritance which is reserved in heaven is your identity wrapped up entirely with him is um is your identity wrapped up in the god uh, the, the god of the harvest who richly supplies you with all good things not just physically but spiritually in the person of his son well, that's the one of the things that comes out very strongly in this psalm is that they're going up to jerusalem this compact city they're going up there to celebrate the covenant to obey the directives of god who said that at least three times a year passover tabernacles and pentecost they were to gather in this city to celebrate and to thank and to praise the god of the covenant secondly uh, i'd like us to talk about the enjoyment of the community those of you who are familiar with a, a bit of a plethora of recent books on what's called biblical theology will have heard that some of the great storylines running through the bible are um can be picked out and enjoyed one of them um is uh, the theme of god's people living under god's rule in god's place god's people under god's rule in god's place it's a story which begins in the garden of eden uh, and is recycled with ups and downs um, th right through to the end of the book of revelation where you find it a, a full and complete expression of it adam and eve were in the garden they were living in perfection they, they were living under god's rule in god's place 
And at the very end of the Bible, you have Jesus, the new Adam, with his bride, the church, living in a new Jerusalem, living under God's rule, in God's place, perfectly. So I think there's a little echo of that here in verses three to five. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, God's people. They go up, the tribes up to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David, God's people living under God's rule in God's place. Um, so Jerusalem is the place where God chose to set his name uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. It was the place which, which he would identify as the, the locus and the center of the throne of the king and the throne of God. Because there was a royal palace there, of course, it's referred to here as the throne of David, kings of Israel at their best. And, and they weren't very often at their best. The kings of Israel at their best embraced the book of the covenant. They learned it off by heart and they exercised their kingship according to the covenant book. Uh, and they were to lead Israel in obedience to that book. The hope was that they would take to heart the law of Moses and would rule God's people in God's place by its teaching. But of course, they, they often began to worship idols and th their, their disobedience brought judgment upon the people. The other core of the city uh, initially was the tabernacle, which was taken there temporarily, and then the temple. And there was the throne of God. The temple was there. At the heart of the temple was the Holy of Holies. It was a kind of cubic room. It was the same height as, as deep as, as broad. And in that cube-shaped room was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant containing the law of God. Above the Ark was a mercy seat. And shaped out of, that, out of one huge lump of gold were with two cherubim, two angelic figures spreading their wings above the mercy seat with their faces looking down on it. They were the golden cherubim. And there above the mercy seat was the presence of God. Above the symbolic angels was the throne of God. In a sense, uh, for a while, it was the most sacred place on earth. It was the covenant, that, the cement that bound the people of Israel together. See that little phrase, Jerusalem is a city bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. But as you know, it didn't last. They allowed idolatry to enter their public life. Um, and uh, after idolatry came, the prophets came to preach the judgment of God. And when they disobeyed the prophets and continued in their idolatry, the, um, the northerners came the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and they destroyed the city and they burnt down the temple. And uh, the community ceased to be God's people living under God's rule in God's place. Well, there are all sorts of things that contribute to that mysterious thing that I've alluded to, your personal identity. I'm a northerner. I'm a Geordie. I'm a city fan. I'm straight. I'm gay. I'm, I'm an accountant. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. But according to the scriptures, your identity is bound up, should be bound up with the person of Jesus 
and the community of God's people. It's a great thing, a wonderful thing to be able to say that you are bound up with the community. You can celebrate the fact that you belong to the community of God's people. Some of you will have seen a movie called The Bodyguard. And near the center of the film is a quiet, quiet but very powerful moment. Whitney Houston plays the part of um, Rachel Maron, the celebrity singer whose life is in complete chaos. She's famous, she's successful, she has beauty, she has giftedness, she has money and status, but inwardly she's lonely and she's empty. Uh, and she retreats for a while to a cabin in the woods that stands by a lake. She, she's just fed up with people just sucking the life out of her, um, taking bits off her as they try to um, use her celebrity and her wealth for their own well-being. And at one point, she's, she's sitting on, on the porch steps of this lovely house and this lovely setting, and she begins to sing a cappella, um, at this lovely rendering, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you feel the aching in her heart, you know, where she really belongs. She, uh, but she, she longs to belong in a better place, in a, in a place where there is real love, lasting love, true love. Who really loves her? She doesn't know. Who really loves her? Who's relating to her without just taking pieces off her day, day after day? It's a tremendous, uh, tremendously moving moment. And actually, the lady who played Rachel Maron was Whitney Houston, whose own life mirrored the the part that um, that she played. There's, there's a sad but moving documentary on the life of Whitney Houston on Netflix, and it looks at those big questions that occupied her and disturbed her mind. It's called "Can I Be Me?" That's the name of the documentary. Can I be me? What's my core identity? What's my essential security? It's a huge question. Well, I belong to Jesus. The heavenly Jerusalem is my home. It's my city. This world, Chessington, this world, Epsom, this world is temporary. It's passing away. It's not really real. It will pass away. The only real place that will last forever is the kingdom of God and the new Jerusalem. The church the church and my brothers and sisters are my family. I've been a Christian for 60 years this year. I have a wonderful wife, three lovely kids, 13 wonderful grandchildren. I'm a northerner from Manchester, but my core identity is wrapped up in Jesus and in his church, the, his church, which is the bride of Christ, the community of God's people. This is my tribe, people of God gathered in a local church, singing his praises, giving him thanks, listening to his word in order to be ruled by it, sharing in that little Passover meal that we call the Lord's Supper. That's where my feet are standing. Is that where your feet are standing? Are you, have you got a sense of uh, the core 
purposeful identity because you are relating, celebrating the God of the covenant and because you can celebrate the community of God's people. I have come by faith to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The enjoyment of the community. Well, um, third point, and it's much briefer, commitment to the cause. Celebration of the covenant, enjoyment of the community, and uh, commitment to the cause. Let me just read verses six to nine. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. You pray for the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. To what extent is that? near the top of your priorities that the peace of god might be established in the earth the peace that comes only through the finished work of jesus christ who can give us peace with god through the forgiveness of our sins and reconciling us to our heavenly father you pray for the peace of the kingdom of god to come to the hearts of the people around you how many people are actually on your in your prayer life as you've longed for them to be saved and to enjoy the peace of God and to have a destination towards the heavenly Jerusalem. Do you pray for the well-being and the security of the church? Is it your passion to see the church you belong to prosper? For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. My friends, Jesus Christ loved the church and he gave himself up to the death of the cross for her. And now at this time, in the glory of heaven, in the new Jerusalem, he's working ceaselessly through the ministry of Bible teaching and the work of the Holy Spirit and his eternal intercession with the Father, whatever mysterious thing that is, he's working to perfect his bride. He's working to overcome her blemishes and her faults and her sins so that one day in the glory of a new creation in a new city he will present the church to himself his bride to himself in all her beauty and perfection that's his greatest work that's the thing that he enjoys more than anything else that's his great priority the salvation of the church and the eternal happiness of the church um, is the very top of his agenda. Well, where does it fall in our agenda? If it's the top of his agenda, the prosperity of the church, the well-being of the people of God, where does it fall in our agenda? For the sake of the house of the Lord, O oh God, I will seek your good. Surely if it's important to the Lord Jesus, it should be important to us, shouldn't it? There are so many people, and I've, I've known many over the years of my pastoral, pastoral life, who seek to harm the church by critical spirit and by divisive behaviour. People who, towards the church, 
are ungenerous and unhelpful. That can't be, can it, the result of the work of Jesus Christ and the fruit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Can't, can't be, right, can it? Always ready to find fault. A key part of the journey of any Christian through this world is to seek the well-being of that which Jesus loves to love and care for the things that are precious to him and the thing he loves second only to his heavenly father is the church his bride she's his cause it's his chief cause commitment to the cause it's to her well-being that he is eternally committed I know that the local church, the one to which you and I belong, is flawed. I know that it's got sinners in it like me, imperfect people like me. And I'm probably more imperfect than most of you who are listening to me today. But Jesus loves Emmanuel Epsom. He loves the church to which you belong, if it's a different church. And he is absolutely committed to her well-being, to bringing her to the new Jerusalem and uh, enjoying her forever in the glory of his heavenly father. Oh, I pray that in our journey, we might be able to celebrate the covenant. We might be able to enjoy the community and we might be committed to the cause of the well-being of the people of God. Let's pray.